You're listening to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Hello, welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am Joe List, and I am happy that you are here or there listening to this program. I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> I hope you've been enjoying it. It seems like you have. I'm getting really nice emails and tweets and Instagram messages and reviews from everybody. And I really appreciate that. And some nice emails as well. So thank you to everyone that has done that. Um, if you're listening on iTunes and you're enjoying the show, go to um, the review section, whatever. I'm stupid, but give it a nice five star and write something nice. I enjoy seeing it and hearing it. And uh, I think it helps the show. I'm not sure. It seems like it would. Also, the show is on YouTube. If you want to do that, it's audio only, but you can go check it out. They're all on there. And uh, maybe leave a nice comment or a like on there and follow um, the site. I think it's Laugh Button or maybe it's Change. I don't even know. Damn it. But anyways, uh, thank you for coming here. I hope you're doing okay. Still quarantining here in New York, taking it a day at a time. That's the way to do it. Sometimes even an hour at a time. Um, I'm really happy about today's episode. My dear friend Dan Soder is on. We recorded it just a couple hours ago here um, on Monday. And it was great. Soder, uh, obviously a very busy guy with uh, Billions and the Bonfire. I'm sure you know him. And uh, it was nice of him to stop in and do it. And it was great to catch up. Uh, Dan is one of the first friends I made when I moved to New York. He was answering phones at Stand Up New York. And I was... I don't know, doing a guest spot or maybe a bringer or something like that. And uh, I thought he was cool and nice. And uh, we started drinking. We bonded over booze and comedy and sports. And uh, we talk a lot about that. It kind of turns into like a little AA meeting. Um, we talk a lot about uh, how we were when we were drinking and, uh, and how our lives improved when we stopped drinking. I mean, uh, it's been, uh, been, been nice. I don't know. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Well, I guess my train of thought continued, but I didn't know how to word what I wanted to word, if that makes sense. My thought was continuing to be on when I was drinking, but sometimes I get caught in the tracks of uh, thinking about when I was drinking, and it's, it's sad, and I was sad. And it's like stunning to think how much I hated myself. But uh, that's neither here nor there. We talk about it a little bit. Uh, and we talk about our hypochondria quite a bit. And um, yeah, I think it was a good conversation. I enjoyed it. Soder is just a, a guy you enjoy talking to. Obviously, tremendously talented individual. And someone I've known now for, I guess, 13 years. And he's become extremely successful. And um I guess I've become pretty successful as well. But you can, uh, if you're not familiar with Dan, I'm sure you are, but you can go check out his HBO special. Um, that's Killer that just came out last year. And um, he's on the Bonfire uh, show podcast. Is it a podcast? It's a radio show, but is it also a podcast? I guess I don't really know. He's also on the upcoming season of Billions. And uh, he's tremendous on that. I've never seen a second of it, but that's because I don't really watch TV, not because I don't love Dan, but I hear he's great. He is great. And I'm rambling because, uh, I'm lonely and anxious and scared all the time, but I'm working on it. 
And that's what this show is all about. And um, hopefully it's been helpful to you. Um, hearing from you has been helpful to me. So I thank you. Please enjoy this conversation with Dan Soder. But first, here is a wonderful quote I heard the other day, and it's from the incredible Ram Das, who I'm sure you guys are all familiar with, who also just passed away recently. Um, did I say also just passed away recently? Dan Soder is alive, but he's passed away recently. Anyways, the quote, I loved this quote. We're sitting under the tree of our thinking minds, wondering why we're not getting any sunshine. And that's me. I live in my head so often, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. My mantra from my therapist, Alan, who Dan and I also talk about a lot. You're getting double quotes here. Your thoughts are not reality. Fear is just fear. Anyways, that was a lot of fun, a lot of wisdom. Hopefully it didn't go on too long. Here's my conversation with my close, personal, wonderful friend, Dan Soder. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing the podcast, um, even though you laughed at the idea of my podcast. No, 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 no. On the subway. The reason I laughed at it, I, I, full defense, the reason I laughed at it was because the way you said it, you totally said it like you were like, yeah, then I'm going to do this one called Mindful Metal Jacket. And I was like, oh, and then you're like, no, it's really a podcast. And I was like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. No, you hate me. No, 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 no. That was, I was misled. <laughs> I was misled. They would throw that out in a trial. Well, here's what it is, I mean, and this is we could get into it. Our mental, our mental, you know, retardation here yeah. is that I think everything I, th- every idea I have is kind of stupid. Like you still have that thing from when you're a kid, yeah, where you have to put everything out there like a joke. Like when you're a kid, you're like, what if we like? Wouldn't it be crazy if we just like pretended we were like in the army or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and- I, I, um, I have that to the point that it like cripples me. Like, I think uh, all my thoughts, every single one of my thoughts, I'm like, this is definitely wrong. This is wrong. Because growing up, I was, like, by myself. Like, you have an older sister. I was just, like, in my house with my mom who was, like, super stressed out. So whenever I would say something, I would be like, "Uh, is this crazy? And so what, what fucked me up, like, I think some people have this fear of saying something and someone being like, that's fucking nuts. But... I would like worked in the opposite. It wasn't until I was starting to get around people at school where I was like, is this crazy? And people would be like, no, you're not crazy. That's a real thing. And you're like, whoo, okay, all right. So I had to check with others to, as our therapist says, confirm my reality. And that fucked me up social with socializing for the rest of my life. Yeah, I feel like I still have that all the time. I mean, with like, obviously like with hypochondria, which yeah. you have too, Yeah, yeah, yeah. that thing. I'm constantly being like, does your nose ever like whistle Dude. on like Tuesday morning? Like crazy shit. Let's go. Let's go through the checklist of what I've gone through this week. Uh, definitely COVID. I want to say a good four runs of COVID just because I started sweating in a sweatshirt. <laughs> See, I'm doing better with COVID now. I had COVID for like a week, two weeks, and then ah. that faded. And now I'm in, back into my regular, my tooth, my eye, my, um, my yes. shins. Yes. Okay. So, so far this week, it's been to- t- uh, tooth pain. I've had tooth pain, and I was like, I'm probably going to have to have uh, a root canal when we when we get back to seeing people. Um, deep vein thrombosis. I've been worried about strokes, so <laughs> I've had a feeling in the back of my leg, and I was like, that's definitely what Heavy D died of. It's deep vein thrombosis. 
I travel too much. I've flown too much. My my blood's all I've wonky. And then uh, the normal cancer. Uh, you know, there's just been like one or two uh, abdomen pains where you're like, that's that's probably. Oh, and an appendicitis because I was laying down and my right side hurt. I've had that. I've had I've had, I've had actual appendicitis. And here's the th- this is the Allen thing. Yeah. That we need to remember is that if we have one of these things, we'll just deal with it. Yes, exactly. Like exactly. I, thinking I had appendicitis, all the times I thought I had appendicitis was worse than when I actually had appendicitis. Yeah, there there was an interview with Michael J. Fox in Rolling Stone a couple years ago and he was talking about uh having Parkinson's and he was like yeah, people always say like, oh, I was afraid I had Parkinson's. And he's like, well, don't do that. Because then if you do get it, you're just actually going to have gotten it twice. Because you like are afraid you had it. And it was like a really weird way to look at that where you're like, oh, yeah, I, I, should I start worrying about that? Because if it happens, it's just going to happen. Right. It's kind of like herpes. Like I've, I've talked about with having herpes is like once you have it, you don't have to worry about getting it again. You're kind of just like, all right, I can't undo this. So yeah. I'll just deal with it. And the thing is, I read this. Um, book that I've plugged a few times called The Antidote by Oliver Berkman, which talks about when we do things like that, when we ask people, hey, have you ever had a back pain like this? Or have you ever had this thing? We get relieved when the person is like, yeah, I've had that. You're like, okay, great. So it's it's yeah. not just me. But what that actually does is reinforces how horrible it would be if you did have it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like someone going, no, no, that's not cancer. That's um, whatever. Your rib is bruised. You go, oh, thank God. Yeah, I, I mean, that's but my whole life. But it's reinforcing this thing of if you did have cancer, though, then you should, it'll be the worst thing that ever happened to you, yada, yada. Yeah, because then you'll be like, oh, no, 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 no. It's like it's like, um, <laughs> it's like like health pop flies. You like think it's going to be a home run, and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. And it goes to the warning track, and you're like, okay, all right. Well, it was almost there. It was it reminds me of like. We've talked about it before when you're watching sports. This is a complete side note. When you're at a bar watching, this happens the most with baseball. Yeah. Where like so often it looks like the guy ripped it and you jump up in the bar. You're like, fucking gone. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like a fly ball to the shortstop and you're like, oh, shit. What's weird is when you start noticing certain cities do it more. Yankees fans, I don't think they know pop flies exist. I think every time <laughs> the ball goes in the air, they're like, that's a fucking home run, bro. That's a home run. And you're like, that thing's barely going to go past third base. Well, they're a low-class people. But, oh, um, yeah. but back to the hypochondriac stuff, that's like something that we were talking about with like confirming my reality where I was like, I think in my like subconscious, it was like, oh, this is a way to converse with people where you don't say weird shit, but you are saying something weird. Like I was really comfortable walking up to someone and being like, I think I'm dying as opposed to walking up to someone I know and I'm like, I'm nervous about this show. Like I would rather... Have you know what I mean? Have it be this like giant thing? Then yeah, a hundred hundred percent. And also, I, what's crazy is it's so deeply um, not subliminal, subconscious. Yeah, that I still now at thirty eight don't realize that I'm worrying about something else. I still am unable to be like, and it takes Alan, our therapist, and like a lot of practice and meditation to be like my jaw. Something's wrong with my jaw. I don't know yeah. if it's cancer. Or a, a impacted tooth, or a, what do you call it? Asbestos? What's that called? Abscess. Yeah, abscess tooth. If it's like Ooh. an abscess, it's something. And then, you know, Alan will be like, "What are you actually worried about?" Yeah. And then you realize you're like, "Oh, that's phantom pain. I'm actually worried that I'm not connected with my 
dad or whatever the fuck. Yeah, dude. In actuality, the shit that we worry about is just like uh, it's like pain diversion. It's like major. It's in like major pain with Damon Wayans where he breaks his thumb and he's like, "Nah, you worried about your thumb?" And you're like, "Ah, fuck." But I do that all the time, and I'll do that with stuff like um, I'll be worrying about you know, like a pain in the back of my leg and I'll go through all the stages of like, all right, well, first comes a stroke. Then I don't have mobility on the left side of my body. Then I got to, you know, as it gets worse, I'm gonna have to move back to Denver. I'm gonna have to live in my mom's living room in a hospital bed in like a weird way. They're gonna keep me, you know, alive. And then in reality, I'm like, Oh no! It's just me being nervous that stand-up's not happening right now. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh fuck, oh fuck! I went to such a weird, dark place as opposed to just like sitting in the actuality of it, which is like, oh, I miss doing stand-up and being funny with my friends. Yeah, exactly. And it's also hard to believe. It's so hard for me to understand, believe, and accept that your brain, your thoughts, are capable of causing back pain or yeah. tooth pain or an eye twitch. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Like, I can't wrap my head around the science of that. So I'm like, my eye must be twitching because something's wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, The eye thing is... it's a mental is, thing. I used to have eye twitching all the fucking time. And it was me and I, it was what I would always think about. And then you just see me... You know in Godfather where he stops and, like, rubs his eyelids? You see, yeah. You see, like, you know, like, Pacino will do that a bunch. Yeah. I started doing that after I saw Godfather, because it took me a long time in my life to see The Godfather. I'm ashamed of that, but it's the truth. And then I started, be, do, yeah. I started doing that, and then when my eye started twitching, I would just hold my eye. So I'd just be having conversations with people, and then I'd just be like, <laughs> like I'm doing a vision <laughs> test. <laughs> i just put my, my fingers up to my face, and they'd be like, what the fuck is this guy doing? But I would just... Yeah, I mean... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's the posit, like the, the way of thinking. Uh, I saw Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age, who you know I love, was on Joe Rogan, and he was talking about how this new philosophy of like, he read this philosopher that said, if you uh, believe in positivity, I don't know if it was a philosopher, he read somebody that said like, if you believe in positivity and start like your mind thinking, turning those thoughts from that negative river to that positive river, he's like, it'll it, that builds on itself. So like the way you negatively think about your eye twitching, it'll keep doing that. If you think positively, it just puts your mind towards that way. Yeah, totally. It works both ways, uh, which is hard to overcome because like the analogy of like those grooves are so deep. Like, yeah. It's like you think of a record, like the needle goes into it's that the first... groove because we've been working it since we were a fetus. And Dude, you so were the first hard. person I met that vocalized the are you mad at me? You were my first <laughs> friend where I finally was like, oh, my God, Joe is saying what I'm feeling all the time, which is just like, are you guys, I do something, are you guys fucking mad? Because, yeah, when we, that's my baseline. Yeah, when we, and it, for me, too, it, it also is, uh, you know, I think when you're around alcoholics as a kid, it, there, there's like a lot of chaos. You kind of don't know because it's a mood changer. Like my mom would come in the room and I didn't know if she was going to be hammered or sober or happy or mad. So she'd come in and be mad and it would be like, ah, this is clearly something I did. Which, by the way, probably had nothing to do with me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you put all of that um, weight on you and... That's the thing. There's like a um, an AA saying, or maybe it's from somewhere. I don't know. I've heard it in AA. Is like the the piece of shit at the center of the universe. Yeah. Where you're like, you have low self esteem, in that you're like, I am a piece of shit, 
but you're also thinking everybody's thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's I'm I'm worthless piece of shit, but the entire world is thinking about me, was... about what an asshole I am. Gary Goldman gave a great analogy for that where he said um I don't know where he heard it from or if, if it was originally his, but it, it changed the way I looked at shit where he said, you know, in school when you would walk into the, lo- the wrong classroom and there'd be a different class and you would open the door and be like, oh, wrong classroom. And you would shut the door and walk away. And you would think every single person in that class was thinking about you and no one in that classroom was thinking about you. Right. And like That's you're just like, analogy. yeah, you're just like, oh, cool. That guy's that guy picked the wrong room and he's gone. And it's like when Gary said that, I was like, dude, that's fucking that has been my whole life. Like with people out in public if i like if something falls out of my pocket i'm like well that's all they're going to talk about today yeah completely i mean it's um i had two thoughts at once and now they both uh escaped me but that made me think of um maria bamford had a great bit a great fucking weird bit as her bits tend to be Mm -hmm. about her anxiety and panic and she's like it's almost like you're at a party and a friend puts on like a gorilla mask, yeah. like a weird, scary mask. And then he just stares at you with the mask on. You keep being like, oh, come on, man, take that off. And he won't take it off. And you know it's him. Yeah. But he won't say anything or take it off. And you're just like, ah, oh, stop. What the fuck, Can dude? you stop doing that? That's why haunted houses, that's why haunted houses get to me sometimes when like just guys in suits with white face paint just stare at me. I'm like, yeah, all right, man. Okay. Like them and British soldiers. I would just be like, okay, let's, can we, can you fucking yeah. do something? It's one of those bits that you're like, I don't even know how you came up with it, but like I completely feel that, and I feel like I've experienced that, where someone's just like, I'm fucking with you, and I'm not going to break character, and you're like, God, I feel fucking so weird. When people can do bits like that that actually make you feel the thing, you're like, that is fucking impressive. Yeah, and I can't imagine it killing. I feel like people that aren't mentally ill are like, what? (laughs) Like a gorilla mask. I would just, I think that's funny, because he's in a gorilla mask. Yeah, she has the ability, Bamford has the ability to, like, uh, relate things that are very hard to relate. Like, when she does, on she closes on unwanted thought syndrome, where she does, like, a road hack, and you're kind of like, that's the best explanation of a road hack, is Maria Bamford's closing bit, where it's just, like, pandery, easy. It's just so funny. It's one of my favorite things. As a comic, it's one of the things I'm the most jealous of, is when you're like, God, that's the perfect way to put that. No, she's she's great, and it's like there's so many um, analogies to sort of sum up mental illness, and you so like appreciate it when somebody yeah. explains it. I remember the first time I did Ron Bennington or Bennington's show. I don't know why I said his full name, but Ronald Bennington. Ronald, <laughs> hey, real quick, is your mic plugged in, or are you using computer audio? My mic is plugged into my Zoom. Got it. I get it. Now everything makes sense. Why do I sound like shit? No, I just, you don't sound like you're talking into a microphone on Zoom, but you are talking to the microphone into your Zoom. Yes, the people hearing this, I'll sound great. To you, I sound like garbage. Well, that's why I was like, as a friend, I had to step in and be like, I don't, I just want to let you know, but now that I know you're connected to Zoom, everything makes sense. Well, what's great about this podcast is it's this weird, um, meta thing because yeah. the entire time I'm talking about anxiety and paranoia and hypochondria and mindfulness I'm losing my mind the whole time because I don't trust that my microphone's recording yeah. I'm afraid we're going to lose the whole thing yeah that's and- uh that's a thing I honestly I would say like meeting you and when I moved to New York starting doing stand-up in Tucson I think was very valuable for me because I got to see what it's like like on Tatooine 
Like you got to see like <laughs> you just got to see what comedy was in this like weird place where it's like a sea room club so these these guys clearly are working week to week but then some guys were just so talented and had drug and alcohol problems that those were the good ones those are the comics you saw but then when i moved to new york and i started hanging out with you and bolger and we started uh and you know like Cantor and uh dan hershon and it was fun to get around people norman it was great seeing people that we all thought the same we were all like hey are you dying and you're like because i'm dying and it's like right. well i don't care about your disease listen to my disease and then do you want to go get fucked up do you want to go live super irresponsibly but then just pour our lives just dedicate ourselves to this one thing and it's it was weird because it at the, it made me feel like um not crazy it made me feel not crazy because i felt like all of my other friends that weren't comedians were and I love them. I love them so much. But I felt like they were talking with the volume down. And comics were the first ones that were on the same volume. Where I was like, "Yes, I can hear this guy fucking perfectly." Yeah, no, that's that's the best part of comedy. It's why all my closest. I always talk with comedy. I'm like, I've only lived with comedians in yeah. my adult life. I married a comedian, and um, it does. It is that feeling of like. It's the same thing that's great about AA and therapy and all these things. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. Yeah. This this person thinks like me, and that's what the nice thing about comedy. Even if we're all psychotic in different ways. But even in this quarantine, it's like you know, I'm staying with my girlfriend, and you know, Katie and I have been dating about like six months, I want to say, and then to move in together for eight weeks without any other interactions with people, it's like like reality shows don't do this long. Reality shows do like 30 days, and they're like, all right, well, that's like all we can fucking do. <laughs> and this was like fucking eight weeks. Get in there. And as a guy that, as you know, has like huge intimacy issues and problems like letting people in, but just because of my past, that it was like, this was such a great experience for me on a certain level while everything else was shit. Everything was shit. Missing stand-up, missing work, missing just being able to be around my friends and see my friends. What the, and that's what I kind of to hark back to like the positivity in these certain situations where you need to look down. It's like, oh man, I got a chance to really learn why I wasn't a good boyfriend in my life and why I'm not letting people in because I'm just staying with this one person that I love so much. But it made me feel less crazy when I talked to Vecchione and I was like, dude, I need to come home to get some stuff. Is it? I know you and your girlfriend are staying at our place. Is it cool if I come home? He's like, dude, I need you to come home. But he hit me with like, <laughs> but he hit me with like a, hey, I was just gonna call you, and I thought he was gonna be like, hey, dude, we got a good situation here, and da da da. But then he's like, no, dude, I need to see you. And everyone I talked to is like, yeah, that makes sense, man. It makes sense that you need to go home for a couple of days and get your stuff. But I think the way our brains are wired is we're so used to being like, just dropped into places and being like, make it work. Just make this shit work. That we do that in our personal life where it's like detrimental to us. Yeah. Well, and then you like become, um, you adapt to the shit. Yeah. And now I'm in a weird position where I'm like, no, I don't want quarantine to end now. Now yeah. this is my new thing. Yeah. Like before I'm gonna, I was freaking out. I was a little sad this morning in the shower because I was thinking like, man, I have really learned to enjoy living with my girlfriend and and, and the pattern that we have now and like kind of the shit that we do. And it's going to be weird. But then I also got excited because I knew I was going to do your podcast with you. And I was like, well, I'm going to be in Queens all day, Wednesday, Thursday. And then I'm probably going to come back to New Jersey Friday night. But I was like, maybe maybe I'll get Vecchione and I to walk over to Joe and Sarah's and say hi. Yeah, we, we were just saying that yesterday because um, we've been meeting up with Sarah's sister every yeah. day and going for like long, long walks. And it's been like great because 
when you're one-on-one with someone for a long time, it's great. But then when you bring in a third person to bounce ideas and stories yeah. and jokes off of it, really, it, it adds like an extra, um, you know, uh, layer or level of, of conversation. So it's been nice. But she's actually moving back to Texas. So we're like, oh, we got to. We got to go get Vito or Sagalo yeah, or yeah, somebody. Yeah, like, who get, else is in the neighborhood? You got to get DeVito. You got to pull DeVito out. Yeah, get somebody. But it does feel like at this point, you're like, I think if you're hanging, I'm cool with hanging out with somebody. Like, she's come over our house, and yeah. I'm like, I think we're fine, for God's sakes. Yeah, I don't um, know. I don't know. It's going to be, stand-up's going to be in a really tender place, I think, when it first starts. I talked to Nate. And he was saying in in Nashville they're about to have shows like next week. Well, Wise Guys in uh, Salt Lake City is open, as far as I know. You know, everyone's trying to get booked at Wise Guys. <laughs> everyone's like, <laughs> everyone's like, you're going to see comics you would have never seen at Wise Guys on a Tuesday, where it's like Chris Rock is at Wise Guys. <laughs> but at this point, I'm like, I'm pretty cool just hanging here. Like I've enjoyed the break, and I don't know if you have this because I was talking about this quite a bit beforehand is and this is part of anxiety and getting older like i started doing comedy when i was 18 so i'm like 20 years in i've been hanging out at nightclubs and bars late every night i was drinking for the first 10 years of that or 12 years of that i guess and uh i've been on the road every week since 06 i started going on the road with DePaulo, and now i'm doing 45 weeks and it's like gone three days home four days gone four days and I was like, I need a fucking break. Like, I want to get my feet on the ground, yeah. be with my wife, sleep in a bed, watch a movie. And in a weird way, minus all the death and stress, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is like my prayers were answered in some ways in, in, rea- in relation to the not traveling. It's insane that you say that because before this happened, um, Katie and I were joking around. I was like... I wanted to take a vacation after I filmed my HBO special. I was like, I wanted to take a week off of the bonfire and I wanted to go somewhere, Colorado, Montana. I just wanted to go sit somewhere and and sit in, you know, like big sky country with some decent weed and just look at the fucking sky for a while. Sure. Uh, I told I told them, you know, my manager, like, hey, this is my plans. I think I'm going to film the special. And then uh, two weeks later, I'm going to take a vacation. And they came back and they were like, yeah, billion, Showtime called. Uh, you're not. That's not allowed. Billions production is starting immediately. Like it starts the week after you film your special. So you're going to be needed. They can't promise you that week off. And I was kind of like, fuck. So it's fine, though, because, you know, as comics, you're like, I just want to work. I just want to work all the time. And what I didn't realize was before this was I was a workaholic. I was just like, I was just going from job to job to job to job because when you start doing comedy and you're just, you just want spots and you just want stage time and you just want to keep getting better at it. And then you start to get stuff and you're kind of like, well, I can't stop. I can't stop doing this because if I stop, I'll go back. In my mind, it's like the second I took my foot off the gas, I'm back to waiting tables. Like that's where it was in my head. Exactly. I feel the same way. And you're like, I fought so long and hard to get here. And with comedy, you are as good as you've been doing. Like you, the, the more you're doing it, the stronger you get. Where everything's, and, and I've watched comics that take time off, or, or and they they're not as strong, they're not as sharp. But that's what's so amazing about this mentally. And first of all, we have to fix that thinking and understand that we're funny and skilled. Well, that's but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean, that's the the part that I was having. I think the biggest breakthrough or 
to echo what you were saying about how like you prayed for it, Katie and I were joking around uh, honestly in February, like like the beginning of February, where I was like, man. Even when the talk of COVID started, we jokingly were like, could you imagine if they made us stay home for two weeks? How fucking great that would be. And like if we could order food and just watch movies and sleep in and play video games. And then it happened and we're like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it just went the, it went the complete opposite way where you're like, here it comes. We get the, oh, my God. It's more. It's three weeks. It's five weeks. But that that made me sit in the fact of, oh, I I keep getting panicked, like, I need to get on stage. I need to get better. I need to keep fucking sharpening. And then I'm like, no one's doing it. Yeah, that's what's so nice about it, is you don't have to have that feeling of, like, I'm falling behind, people are passing me, because we're all sort of on pause here, which is um, helpful. But that's an interesting thing you said, too. It's like, that's the, the mentality of us, the psychosis that we all have, is like, if something you wish for happens you're like fuck no oh man maybe i shouldn't have wished for that thing yeah. as though we have any control over any of the shit yeah like we and- were telling that guy to chew the bat it's like we we had no fucking clue i had no fucking clue and what's funny is like I, my last weekend i did on the road was at the dc improv and i was blown away when when the owner was like are you still gonna do your weekend and i was like what yeah are you guys fucking open and she's like yeah i was like then we're good and she's like we might have to cap the shows i'm like i've been playing half filled rooms for 14 years bring it i'm fucking (laughs) this is i was i was i was born in the darkness i was molded (laughs) by it um but it was one of those things where uh you didn't i didn't realize other people have a different way of thinking i didn't realize that other comedians were like oh safety my family what is this me i'm like i'll take the fight i'll take the goddamn fight and it's just because i wanted to do stand-up and having this break makes me realize like hey you don't have to it, it might be more powerful for you to not keep your foot on the gas yeah and also to take time to be like what do i want to do for me this time period i'm like reminding myself because i have to create that's like beyond for sure the beyond the competitive thing or the financial thing or or then that feeling of the need of like we should be putting something out there i got to put something on instagram whatever it is we're creative people i mean we're artists not to sound like pretentious no but i mean I'll, I'll 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 double down on your gayness and say i have to make people laugh like i really fucking without doing the bonfire i think i would have gone mentally insane yeah it's it's you just feel like the need to create something we we talk like me and vecchione and ari and sarah went out on that trip into utah and i was like feeling good because i'm like i haven't written anything in a week but i'm like oh but i've been making five thousand jokes a day and it's like that's the vehicle right now is fucking making fun of vecchione or whatever or shitting on ari's ugly face yeah but it's still creating material it's just for this present moment for these three people but way before uh, the quarantine or anything like that i i noticed that when i go home back to aurora and i hang out with my high school friends that i'm still very close with that are still like you know some of my best friends i noticed that i'm like the it's like um a weird way to explain it. it's like it's my root funny 
like it goes back to like my base funny of like who I was. It's the same kind of funny I was when I was 16. Not the same jokes, but it's the same energy of like, oh, I'm doing this to entertain you guys because you're my friends and I love you and this is fun and we make each other laugh. But it's kind of like if you're a musician and you go back and play with that first garage band and you're kind of like, oh, this is a different style, but it's still like, oh, it's still what I love to do. Right, right. It's, I mean, well, that's the the most fun to me. Like the most fun I'm having in my life is when I'm catching up with Derek and we're just fucking laughing about yeah. the old days or whatever. What's fun and, though? What's fun is when you have a friend that's a comedian and you meet their non-comedian friend or know about their non-comedian friend that's funny. Like when Derek likes any of my tweets, I'm always like, yeah, all right. Like if you like <laughs> something, I'll be like, fucking yeah, because <laughs> it's like, it's it's like if we were fighters, that's like the tough guy in your neighborhood. That's like, nah, he had a he had a record, he couldn't box. And you're like, yeah, but I know he's tough as shit because you've said it. Well, it's like that great uh, Seinfeld line at Comedian. He's like, when your kid's, everybody's funny. And yeah. at some point, everyone goes off and gets jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, uh, then he asked me, he goes, were you the class clown? He goes, oh, all my friends are funny. Everybody was funny. Yeah. You know what's funny? I love both of those perspectives because he's talking to Robert Klein. Now we're getting like inside comedy, but he's talking to Robert Klein. And I love both of their takes because Seinfeld is like everybody was funny, yeah. which is funny. But Robert Klein, if you remember, is smoking a cigar and shaking his head no. Yeah, he's shaking he's like, no. And nah. he, he's looking at the camera too, like looks down at the camera like, what the fuck do you guys want? But, he's like, no, nah, that's stupid. Not both are correct. Funny. Both are correct. Because in order to find out you're funny, you need those friends like I was I was funny with my friends in middle school on a certain level that like they knew I was funny. I kind of knew I was funny. But then my group of friends in high school that I started hanging out with, I hit this like whole new level where I could just be silly and weird because like my friends in middle school were kind of tough kids and they would fight and they would do drugs and shit. And I was just the lower. I was the very low end of that where I was just kept around because I was funny. And then when I started hanging out with my friends in high school where I, I didn't feel like if I was funny, I would get beat up. I could be funnier. I guess I could be like, you know, make weirder references and shit. And they were like, yeah, I get that. And that's and then you hit comedy and that's like the pro level where you, you know, I'm hanging out with you and Norman and Big J and I'm like making references that you guys get. And it's like, oh, this is so fun. But then someone one ups your reference and you're like, oh, fuck. And that's like the same theory of all my friends were funny but at the same time it's like playing pickup basketball with your friends and you go off to play in the pros and you come back and you're like i know different stuff now i just know how to do stuff better right but sometimes well two thoughts uh come to mind it reminds me of one time there was this kid um nate ross i went to high school with who was just like the coolest kid he was like two years older than me he was like a football star and he was like make he was making movies and shit like he would he was like, like you know, the way we make like yeah. sketches and stuff. Um, so he was like everything I wanted to be. He was like the athlete and also like into film and shit. But I remember we were talking. Uh, I was talking about how cross country is like a better sport than track because I was like, not <clears throat> anyone can just run three miles. I was like, anyone can run four hundred meters. And then he got real serious and he was like, not as fast as I can. <laughs> and I was like, that's the thing with like comedy to yeah. me in a lot of ways is like everybody can be funny or is funny. But not at the level we're able to be funny. Yeah. But and then, having said that, I've hang out with comics, and then I'll talk to Derek, and I'm like, D- my friend Derek is funnier than just about every comedian I've ever met in my life. Yeah. When you He's meet, just when you meet not, the guy when you meet the guy that has it that uh, you know our buddy Joe Alexander that he, he was yeah. doing comedy when we were hanging around and he was he was a great comedian and then he just stopped doing it. I'll have lunch with him sometimes. And I'm like, yeah, he's he's funnier than half the guys 
that I know that are working that are like doing well in stand up. He's still like there's there's just guys out there that can have it. It's like it really is. It's like they're like street legends. There's like street comics. There's like yeah. skip to my loo, but it's like a dude that can do fucking voices. And you're just like I don't know. He works at T-Mobile. He's fucking hilarious. No, I mean, Quinn always talks about that. Like, he's like, he grew up with guys. He's like, this guy's funnier than fucking Eddie Murphy, but he was fucking shot heroin into his eyes in 1978 <laughs> yeah, and died. Dude. But I think that, like, my uncle Brian, who you've met before, too, I was like, this guy's like one of the funniest guys ever. Like, yeah. we're playing volleyball in my backyard, and as the, someone's going to serve, he's like, heads up, he's trying something. Yeah. And he does a fucking yeah. somersault on the floor. He's 60 years old. I'm like, that's funnier than anything fucking whoever. And that, you know, made, that made me realize when I was, you know, because I only knew my dad until, like, I only socialized with my dad until I was about 10 and then his alcoholism went off the charts and then like I wouldn't see him for two years so I saw him like twice after I was 10 years old but I remember 10 and under him just being the guy that would level a room he would just come in and just be the funniest fucking guy and then I would start thinking back to like these stories of my dad being funny and as a comedian I'm like god damn that was funny what a line what a fucking he would just have certain like quick lines with people because he was a bartender so i'd like watch right. him be funny and i'd be like oh and then as an adult you're like oh that's hilarious as a kid i didn't understand the joke but as an adult i'd be like oh that's really funny that he said that that fast so that, that's almost like you have like perfect formula for comic where it's like you have like the learned behavior of your dad being hilarious yeah and then your dad passes away so you got all this pain <laughs> yeah yeah and you're like i gotta hide this pain yeah. you've already learned how to be funny it's like you were it's like your dad without meaning to built you to be like this Dude, ultimate comedian i jokingly told vecchione that we were laughing at our apartment one day where i was like sometimes it's like when you find out an nba player's dad was an nba player and his mom was a track star and you're like oh well or like you know when an nfl player's like his dad played for the twins for two years his mom was a world-class fucking discus thrower <laughs> and you're like well of course that guy's gonna be an all-star outside linebacker he's got it in the fact that my mom was like uh so driven she's like such a woman that's like if she has a goal i mean she beat guillaume beret which is a disease that paralyzes you and she was I like it was a hockey player yeah guillaume beret <laughs> he was for the calgary flames third line <laughs> <laughs> decent forecheck i dump. just picture her with this pulling his sweater over his head and fucking pounding him <laughs> my mom takes out a goon for the fucking nordiques <laughs> he's just like <laughs> yeah my mom got into a bar fight with fucking famed enforcer guillaume beret <laughs> But he, uh, but like my mom was so driven and my dad was funny and like loose, you know what I mean? That it was like, that was the mixture. And then with Vecchione, I was like, dude, I honestly think in like 1988, my mom and my dad had a conversation where they're like, do you want to make a comedian? She's like, here's what'll <laughs> happen. Well, let's get divorced next year. You stay in his life for about four years. Then you're gone. And I mean, you stay gone. <laughs> She's like Me, I'm going to ride him into the dirt with rules and then at 16 take my foot off the gas and let's just see where this fucking thing goes because people don't realize to be a comedian there is a certain recipe there's right. there's like yes it's possible for happy people to be comedians yes it's possible will ferrell is the glaring example of a guy that had a great life that is the funniest of all like one of the funniest of all time most of us you have to get stepped on you know what I mean? You have to have, right. like, you need to take like a bunch or have a weird thought process, like what we're talking about this entire episode. 
Well, even Feral, it's like a sketch improv is even different than stand up because stand up, it's this weird thing of like, I got to have a big group, but I don't want any of them to fucking talk to me. Everyone stay away from it's me. It's so weird. You're almost like, I want to be a bubble boy. Just fucking don't just stay outside the bubble. You, it's a, it's a it really is stand up is a weird thing because you have to sing the siren song to get everyone to be like I want to know you and you're like don't fucking you don't get to know me fucking stay right. away from me it's weird what so I, I want to talk about you're a big Alan guy how long have you been seeing Alan uh, for therapist? eight years Woo. now how did you hear but did you hear about him from Bobby no I knew Bobby went uh, I didn't know who Bobby went to I just knew he had a therapist and on you know what dude I think he like called Alan one time and he and I knew his name was Alan but um the old CBs which is now a JG Mellon on Bleecker and McDougal Gian, yeah. Giannis Pappas and I were drinking uh, upstairs at the bar and the bartender Mike was like, you know, giving us whiskey shots and we were doing, I remember we were drinking Stella's Giannis had a little bit of money. I was dead broke. So Giannis bought two Stella's and we, we did a double shot of Jameson each. And I just remember talking to him just like, you know, about my childhood or whatever and like telling him stories about my dad and my sister dying or whatever. And he's like in the very Giannis Brooklyn way, he's like, and you're not in therapy. And I was like, no, I'm not in therapy. He's like, yeah, that's dangerous. You're not in therapy. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yo, man, that's dangerous that you're not out here talking to people. You need to go talk to somebody. And then we were talking about drinking wow. and I was like, yeah, well, like I'm going to finish my beer. And he's like, that's the difference between us. I could leave this bar right now with my beer half empty. And I was like, and then I would drink your beer. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's your problem. <laughs> like you would, you would want to finish my beer. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think I got to I'm doing okay. And he's like, just go talk to, like, try him. Try my therapist. And I was like, all right, let me try it. And after one session, I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, man, it's crazy. It's crazy when he, he he's like, he comes in to fix your, he's like bar rescue. Wait, so did Giannis, Giannis went, you cut out for one second from oh, okay. my end. Yeah, yeah, uh, I saw that. Did Giannis go to Allen? Yeah, Giannis was an Allen uh, client. For, no kidding. Yeah, and then he got me to go see Alan. And then after one session, I was just like, oh, fuck, okay, this is what I have to do for the rest of my wow. life. And so that was before you even knew Bobby? No, no, no. It was it was uh, right around the time we were all doing You Know What, Dude. It was oh, okay. because it was uh, right, I want to say, um, it was, oh, yeah, you, years, quit, yeah. you, you quit drinking in 2012. Dece end of 2012. Yeah, yeah, you quit December of 2012. I want to say I started seeing Alan the summer of 2012, like the spring of 2012. I started seeing Alan because I was still drinking very heavy. And then I remember you quit drinking and I told Alan, I was like, Joe List is the first person I've ever met that quit drinking and is very positive about it. And I can see the positivity in his life. And he was like, you're an alcoholic. You have to quit. And I was like, fuck you. No, I'm not. And then that became a thing where finally I, he got me, you know, he, and with your help and a bunch of other people's help, uh, Nikki Glazer got me the Alan Carr book, and it was a bunch. It was a bunch of different things all coming together at once. Where it was like, oh shit, I do need to yeah, quit it's, drinking. It's interesting that it's right around the same time you started going to therapy. I quit drinking, and then you quit right after that. That we were clearly like, ah, oh, this isn't working. You said something. But to you me. were having success though. Yeah. Well, I was. Um, as Alan said, I was I was using probably the, the the power of my father, like my my dad's powers, to be like a bartender in these social situations. But fucking, 
Brian Koppelman, after I did Just for Laughs, after I did Unwrapped in 2011, I went to his office and he was like asking me about it. He's like, how did it go? And I'm like telling him about it. And just without even saying anything, he just goes, you know, your biggest problem is going to be your drinking. And it, it like hit me on a level where you like kind of feel naked in front of someone where you're like, and I, I even did the thing and you've done this. And I was like, no, no, no I'm only drinking beers now. So it's fine. Of it's course. not even a problem. I'm only having like a couple beers a night. And he, and he was like, no, no, no. I think you're, you're fine when you're drunk. You're, you're funny. You're charming when you're drunk. You're just going to say the wrong thing to the wrong person and it's going to fuck your career up. And that right. thought just got in my head where I was like, that would be the end of me. That would be the end of me, of me being hammered and being like, I don't want to do that anyways. And they'd be like, fuck you. You don't have a job then. Right. Yeah. No, it's like I, I had like so many people try to say that and I just didn't. Like I told you Dane Cook when I was like 23, I went and saw him at the connection. I had opened for him. Yeah. And then I was on a booze cruise and then I went by the connection just like in a blackout. Oy. And... I remember walking. And by up the way, like, hey. Dane Cook still doing the connection is like you're catching him in the ele- the twelfth hour of him about to just do theaters and arenas. Yeah, I think he was doing bigger rooms, but whatever reason he was doing a, a weekend or whatever it was. But um, like he would go visit his parents and then yeah. just make fucking twenty five grand by selling out <laughs> yeah. a six hundred seater over and over again. But I was like legless. I mean, a full booze cruise, open bar. <sighs> And then he, I remember just stand, like vaguely, it's like foggy, like in the hallway at the connection and him just being like, you gotta quit drinking. This is insane. Like, and I was like, nah, cause I was really good at like pretending I wasn't Yeah, both drunk. of us were. Both of us were very good at just acting like, oh, we're not drunk. I used to think that was like the nicest compliment, which means basically it'll like, you're lying and you're good at it. Yeah. And I was like, thanks man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nate like, would always say that to me. He goes, I can't, I'm the only one that can tell you when you're drunk. And I'm like, it's our special connection, huh? It's like, no, it's very bad. That's a very bad thing that no one could tell when you're to have had too much poison. But what did he, well, I w- what did he say? I would, so he was in the lobby with you and he was just like, quit drinking. Yeah. He was just like, you're drinking. This is too much. Like this is, you can't have a career like this. And he would talk about like how he never drank. And I remember being like, you're a fucking nerd. Yeah. Fucking yeah. nerd. Yeah, dude. What I used to, <laughs> like, I used to think. Meanwhile, it, the guy's printing money. Yeah. The guy, the guy has a spaceship. He has enough money to have a fucking apartment on the moon. It was, I remember feeling two ways about people that didn't drink. If someone had never drank, I'm like, you bitch, (laughs) you fucking bitch. You don't know what it's like to get in there and really mix it up. And then the other people were the people that quit drinking and were sober and were okay with it rattled me. They always rattled me because I knew I, I knew in my mind I had to quit drinking eventually. And so seeing those people and if I would be drinking, I'd be doing the thing where I'd meet them and then I'd just like occasionally look at them while I was at the party where I'd be like, are they, are they thinking about me? It's back to what we were talking about, about everyone thinking about you where I'm like, they know I have to quit. Well, that was like I tried getting sober a few times and I was in the rooms and using the the program or whatever. And I would see people that I knew, comics, Mm -hmm. and then I would go back and start drinking again. And I remember being at the cellar and seeing like a comic that I loved that I had seen in sobriety meetings and then being like, oh, fuck, and like hiding my beer, thinking like, oh, he's going to really be affected by this. Yeah. And it's like, that's not how it works. Nobody, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit at all. Uh, Even uh, John Moses, who's hilarious, and I saw him as I was trying to quit drinking, he said something to me where he was like, yeah, okay. I was like, I'm quitting drinking. It was one of the times that I failed. And he's just like, okay. And I was like, no, but I'm like, 
I'm done drinking. And he's like, cool, man. And I was like, what? No, no you're, you're supposed to give me more. And he's like, yeah, dude, I, I don't know. You're going to slip. And if you slip, it's okay. But it's more about your health and about how you're dealing with it. And it was like, that was like the first time I was like, oh, shit, it really is just for me, about me. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It has me not putting booze to my lips is the number one priority. Yeah, it's like. Well, I, and I don't. I want to. I don't want to make it seem like they don't care, but it's like it's not like people are gonna be like, "What the fuck? Yeah, get out of here!" It's yeah, just yeah, kind of yeah. like you're on your thing. I'm. This is what I'm doing over here, and it's working for me, and it will work for you if you try. You saying the Dane Cook uh, thing reminds me immediately of uh, me drunk with Louis C.K. Uh, back <laughs> when we were hanging out at the Comedy Village. Do you remember that? Yeah, Dude, I mean, it's one of my it's I don't know Louis well enough to tell him the story yet, but I hope one day I do know him well enough to tell him because that was my like, oh, fuck, I need to quit drinking probably. <laughs> Well, so wait, do you want to tell the story? Yeah, dude, it was great. You were this was back on Monday nights where you would host at the Comedy Village, the old Boston Comedy Club on West Third. I would sit out front and bark on the stool. We had the waitress, Christine? Kristen? Yeah, I think so. Kristen. Yeah, she was like bartender. Yeah, red-haired, uh, beautiful redhead named Christine. I was kind of in love with her, yeah. You were definitely in love with her. And we would we would just do this show, and you you were supposed to host for $100. You never, I don't think you ever got paid. <laughs> I don't know if you ever you got I don't know that it was $100. I bet it was like 50 Yeah, it was something. Or something, something like yeah, you're right. But to us, it was like a king's ransom that you were doing like $50 on a Monday, and you're just fucking hosting. The show went from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. most nights. Yeah. And I, my job, I was an open micer. My job was to sit in the front and try to bark people in. I never did. I just sat out front, smoked cigarettes, and bullshitted. Um, but I would, we would get hooked up by that waitress and she would give yeah. us free shots of whiskey. All we'd have to do was buy Budweiser's and then we would get free whiskey shots, thick whiskey shots. Yeah. One night you and I show up a little early. It's like the show starts. There's maybe like 10 people there. You're hosting. You're bringing up the normal cast of characters, the Joey Gays, the, you know, the Jim Nortons. You would like, you know, who was always there? Andrew Schultz, Andrew Schultz and Thomas Dale. They were like yes. the two young guys. They Schultz were the, was, that's that's how I know Schultz still is like the open mic guy that kind of was like. Hey, what's up? Like a, kind of a high energy open mic guy. Yeah, dude. Uh, him, Mike Rogan. Remember Mike Rogan? It was Mike Rogan, Thomas Dale, Andrew Schultz. That was like their crew. Khalees, maybe? Chris, Chris D. Not, not Chris D. Mike D. was always there. Mike D. was Mike always there. Mike D. Stefano always came through and did a set. But I remember um, I was pretty fucking banged up. And I was sitting at this, at this point. It's like 10 p.m. You are like, hey, Soder, if if they jump, you have to go on and then bring up the next comic because I got to go to the cellar and get my check from DePaulo. DePaulo's at the cellar, so I'm going to run there, get my check, and I'm going to run back. But if I'm not here in time, you got to bring up the next comic. And I remember being like, fucking all right. This is so much responsibility. And I, I'm like waiting, and then you come in. You bring up the next comic. You get back in time. You bring up the next comic. You get off stage and you go, hey, listen, this is right after Louis put out Shameless. So he was working on Chewed Up. This is like 2008, 2007, 2008. Right. And you're like, hey, Louis C.K.'s around the corner uh, working on stuff. I have to host. I can't go. But go to the seller and tell him we got a show working and he can work out here. And I was like, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I don't even want to say I've been in New York a year, so it must have been 2007. I would say I'd been in New York for months, and I was like, <sighs> but Big J, I had met Big J. Big J had introduced me to Shaq, who worked, who was a bouncer at the cellar, and Shaq would let me into the cellar to watch right. Attell, Geraldo, whoever I wanted to watch. So I go, I, I walk over there, and it's Shaq, and I'm like, Shaq, can I, is Louis is Louie here? And he's like, yeah, he's on stage right now. And I was like, can I watch him? And he's like, absolutely. So I go in and I'm standing in the back hallway of the cellar and I watch Louie do like two jokes. It's the women go crazy. I remember the jokes. It was like when women, uh, girls go crazy because when women go crazy, they drown right. their kids in a bathtub, <laughs> which is still one of my favorite. So I'm fucking hammered. And you know, it's one of those drunks where you don't realize you're drunk until you're in a different situation. So at the right. at the Comedy Village, I felt fine. We're doing shots, we're drinking beers, smoking cigarettes, talking football. Different comics are coming by. You know, me and Richard Ronovich are fucking betting on some. I don't know. It was like one of those kind of nights. And then I go to the cellar where I'm terrified of everybody. Everyone's my hero. And I was like, I. That's when I was like, Oh fuck, I'm drunk. It's like when you go into a quiet office building when you're hammered and you're like, Oh fuck, I am wasted. Right. Louis gets off stage and we're in. Oh my god, dude! Even even telling you this makes me nauseous because I just remember standing in the back hallway, standing in that back hallway, and Louis gets up and before he goes up the stairs, I go, "Hey, Louis, um, w- the village is working," <laughs> and he goes, "What?" And I go, "The the village is working, or over there, over there, we the village is working," and he goes, "What?" Uh, it's like one of those things, you know, where he's kind of like doing that thing where he's in, he's now he's impatient and kind of annoyed at uh, completely understandably. And I go, the village is working. And he goes, I don't know. And I go, I don't know what that means. And he goes, yeah, I, I don't know either. <laughs> and then he just walks upstairs and I go, good set. And he goes, thanks. And he just walks upstairs and dude, I, the longest walk ever, which is maybe a two block walk from the cellar to the comedy village. And I show up and you're outside. Remember how they barricade the front so PJ could park? Right, yes. And uh, you're like standing out there with a bunch of people. And I walk up and you give me like the Louie coming. And I go, I, I told him the village is working. And you just go, we're in the village. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, was, that was like, I was so fucking embarrassed by that. I was so embarrassed by that. I was like, God damn it. One of my heroes. And I, I, I didn't even know how to speak English to him. But... The great thing is, he probably doesn't remember that. At all. At all. In your mind, you're like, I just fucking ruined everything. I'm a piece of shit. Ruined it. Ruined it. And honestly, I would say it's a tone setter for how I've interacted with Louis ever since. Whenever he's around, I'm just like, oh, fuck. You remember that? You hate me. Uh, Chappelle. I got hammered around Chappelle in like 2011. And ever since then, whenever David Chappelle's around, I'm like, I'm sorry. I I was a fucking hammered idiot. Well, you know my, uh, I've probably told it before, but that, that story reminded me of my Patrice, uh, my um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman ah, story. One of my favorites. Where um, we're in the East Village. Was this when you were going to the New York Film Academy? That's a good question. I think it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it yeah. was before I moved here. Wow. Good call. Yeah. It was like 03. And I was drunk. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, it was when I was at the New York Film Academy, God, good memory. And I walked up to Philip Seymour Hoffman, he was at <laughs> a bar, and I walked, or like at a, it was like a restaurant bar, I think he was eating, and I walked up to him, and I just said, without any other, you know, context, I said, 
The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone when you're uncool. And he said, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I was like, it's from uh, Almost Famous. And then he was like, oh, yeah, man. And then I said, I'm friends with Patrice O'Neill, right. which was a complete lie. Right. I had never even met Patrice. And he said, I don't know who that is. And I was like, he's in the 25th hour. And like, they barely even have a scene. Dude, no I don't dialogue. even think there's, they, I would say the second, there's seconds they're on screen together. It's them it's walking so into the club when Patrice is the bouncer. Yeah, it was so embarrassing. And then I just walked away. And I remember thinking like, that was cool, man. I just talked to yeah. Phil Seymour. You, you think you were like boys with him? You're like, dude, speaking of Patrice, one of my favorite New York memories, like when I first moved there. Had to have been 2009, 2008, 2009, because me, you, and Norman were were hanging out, and I think we went from like a bar show, like from a creek to the bar to a bar show, and then you're like, let's go by the cellar. We'll have beers at the cellar, and I would only go there if it was like if the numbers were right. If it was like me, you, Norman, and someone else that like made sense that we could stay in our little group away from the table. You could say hi to the table or Colin, you know, and then come right. back and we'd stay there and they'd be like, but David, I remember walking into the cellar and it was the, it was you, me, it was you, Norman, me. And I want to say like maybe Veter. And we're walking into the, into the cellar and Patrice is on the other lane walking out and you walk in and you knew Patrice at this point and he's walking out and you go, Hey Patrice. And he goes, Hey, what's up Joe? And without even finishing the sentence, he goes, no, I don't want to meet your goofy friends. And we're just like, (laughs) and just like little ducklings. We just followed you to the bar. Like, Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Patrice just fucking talked about us. Yeah. That that must've felt so fucking cool though oh man i remember you did a spot at one of my favorite things was you did a a benefit show at comics back when comics was open yeah and greg giraldo was on it and Uh you brought me in the green room and we sat there and talked with greg giraldo for like 45 minutes and he was the funniest person i've ever seen off stage just like how fast he was he was making fun of an australian guy that was missing a foot i think Oh God, I vaguely God, you got a good memory. Yeah. I feel like I have a great memory, but those days are are foggy because I was always fucked up. Yeah, you were I mean, always banged up. And I remember, well, my alcoholism helps me remember that because I remember you being like, "Do you want to come to the show? I'm doing a comics." So I'm like, "Yeah, I can't like afford to get in or whatever." You're like, "No, no, 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 we'll go in the green room." And I think comics drink for free in the green room, so you can you can drink for free. And I was like, "Let's fucking go! Let's go right now!" It's amazing looking back, and it like bums me out, um, but it's just interesting now because it you know life works out but i'm like i remember thinking that i was like i was killing it yeah. like i remember like 2009 2010 because like, i came i knew colin before i moved here i'd opened for dane i was friends with DePaulo, and from working at the comedy connection i had worked with atel and stuff yeah, you knew everybody you were the guy where when i moved to new york uh, you moved like three months later and i started hanging out with you and you knew everybody you were like yeah that's that's so-and-so that's so-and-so and i'd be like even people I didn't know, like Boston people or shit like that, I'd be like, oh, fuck, all right. It's so interesting because, yeah, you definitely, you th- I remember thinking like, oh, I got this all fucking figured out. And it wasn't until like, again, like you, the, when the drinking sort of maximized and you started being alone with your thoughts being like, I'm nowhere. Dude. Like they just know who I am. They're not, it's not like they're like, I love this guy. This guy's a great comic. <laughs> and that feeling of like, actual bottom of like i'm a fucking shithead i just remember feeling super tired by the end where i was kind of like i can't get hammered like this every night i just can't i I was in i think it was in dc i was doing like the draft house was trying to do a like a a smaller room called like 
F Club or something, and I did it after Conan. I did my first Conan, and then I went and did this room, and I just got blackout drunk every fucking day and night. I would start drinking during the day. In fact, my friend, who my friend Luke, who lived in D.C. at the time and I was drinking with, died of alcohol. He drank himself to death. Jesus. And it's like crazy to think that that dude drank himself to death, and I like went on to quit maybe like a year later, just being like, oh fuck, fuck this shit. It's like that old uh, joke where the two drunks, uh, the two guys are at a funeral and they're looking at the uh, casket and it's a dead body. And the guy goes, how did he die? And the other guy goes, uh, he drank himself to death. And then the other guy goes, uh, oh, he's an alcoholic. And the guy goes, no, he wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't that bad. (laughs) It's weird because I don't even think you and I, I I don't even think back to our drinking days. I don't even think you and I considered ourselves like actual alcoholics. I think we'd be like, yeah, we're a bunch of booze bags. Yeah, we're fun. Well, we'd say that, but I always, I mean, I knew from early, early on, from I was like 21, of like, ah, I'm doing it a little different. <laughs> and then I would always, and I think you did the same thing, I would always hang out with people that were older than me yeah. and got more fucked up or as fucked up, but had like kids or jobs or they were older. I was like, well, he's 10 years older than and me. He, My best friend was 10 it. years older than me. Yeah, and you're yeah, like, exactly. Dude, I remember one of the first, um, you know what, dudes at the studio above the cellar and we always laugh about it but bobby was like yeah i got some fucking beers you know if you guys want to have some beers and by the end of the episode he's like you guys drank a 12 pack and joe and i were like yeah we had six each that's nothing it was like two hours and bobby was like you fucking alcoholics and we're like nah, now we're probably gonna go drink now that we're done yeah no i definitely i knew i was uh, a problem drinker and it would have to stop eventually and part of it was so much of it was like career shit where yeah. i was like this is crazy like i'm fucking not doing anything i want to be doing and then it's like the thing of like you're sick and tired of being sick and tired yeah. it's just like i feel sick all the time and i remember having a distinct moment where thinking whenever i turned my head it felt like it took a millisecond for like my vision to catch up with me <sighs> dude everything was blurry all the time and then you realize, I'm like, for 10 years, I have been either drunk or hung over or drinking like yeah. that right before you're buzzed. I'm like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in my first beer or I'm hung over or I'm drunk. Those are my states of being. Do you, I mean, we even laughed about it. We, you and I would like ride the train in together for shows and we'd take a night off. And the next day we'd see each other. We'd be like, look at us. <laughs> look, just pinnacles of health. Well, I remember going to stand up New York and you drink for free. Yeah. And I could like because it was free, I'd always I'd always had the mindset of we're only getting paid twenty five bucks. Or back then we might have been doing guest spots. Yeah, so yeah. Like, might as well get something. Yeah. So I'd have like a shot and two beers and I'd be like, I didn't drink last night. And someone's like, But I saw you have a shot and a beer and I'm like, Yeah, yeah. I did but I didn't drink. I didn't get hammered. <laughs> right. Dude, if I was home before midnight, that basically was like, Oh, I didn't drink. Yeah, yeah I, totally. I, I came in, I, I, I took it easy. I remember one time I stayed at home and watched South Park because it was before I had DVR. And I was like, I want to watch the new South Park. And I stayed in on a Wednesday night and didn't drink. And I remember the next day just being like, everything tastes better, colors are brighter. And then by Thursday night, I was fucking blackout at like, you know, Broadway Comedy Club. We we're at Barcelona Bar, just fucking blackout, just like, oh, now this matters. This counts. Well, that's something funny, too, is like you're always like 
you'd be like, oh, I got the night off. I'm going to have some beer because I don't have to do anything. I don't have any shows. I got the night off. Let me drink tonight. Or you'd be like, I got two sets tonight. I'm going to have some beers. That way it can kind of, yeah. there's always a Or you go like, I'm going to have three. I have three sets. I won't drink on the first one, so I'm good. Second one, I'll have a couple beers, so I'm loose. Third one, man, why not? It's 1245 spot. Like, just get fucked up. Yeah, and then I, there was one moment specifically, which I've talked about before, where I was on stage. I, I just started working the cellar. I started working the cellar in December of 2011, and this was like, December of 2012 so I was still a year in and I was just like still nervous and I remember I went to Triona's and got pretty hammered on a weekend and I came back for like my 1245 spot and the words were getting away from me like I was just on stage and I was like I don't know what you guys want to talk about and I was like fuck I remember that feeling on on the inside of being like I overdid it I did it too much fuck I did it too much I gotta quit it's so interesting because I'm like, the timelines are so strange. It's funny to talk to somebody else because you start figuring out their timelines. Yeah. I'm like, wow, you were at the cellar in 2011 because I didn't start working there again until a couple of years later. And then I think there was a period where we weren't hanging out as much, mostly because I was getting bitter because I was drunk and not going anywhere and you were drunk and succeeding. Yeah. So I remember thinking, ah, that guy, he's, he's past me now. I got to find. And I started hanging out with like Mark. It's like people that were like, Felt like I was like, I got to find this is my own ego yeah. and, and anxiety. I was like, I got to find some guys that are a little bit less successful than me at this point to take them around. What's funny? I felt like I was taking you around and then you had passed me and it hurt. So I was like, all right, yeah. take care, dude. I'm going to go hang out with uh, what's, what's, whoever the fuck. What's crazy about that, though, is is like in hindsight, I wasn't that much more successful. I just got two jobs that weren't even really comedy related. I got the Guinness job, which gave me money so I could quit waiting tables, which was fucking massive. And then I got guy code, which oh, that's right. doesn't I fit my personality at all. I forgot about guy code. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I remember thinking like, oh man, like he's gonna, he's successful in that. Like I, cause you, when you're a drunk, yeah. you want everyone to feel like a loser. You feel like a loser. And yeah. I'm like, well, he's winning now. I got to find a loot. No offense to Mark. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I got to find a fuck, a fuck up friend to be with. Yeah. Well, I also, it, it's, it's, it's comforting to be around someone that you're like, look at us down here. Fuck all those people. What was really fun to watch as your friend and, and someone that really like is a f- like a fan and believes in you as as much as I do because you've always been a guy where I've seen her I'm like I've always said in interviews like the funniest human beings I've ever met in my life are Big J Okerson and Joe List it's just and now That's Shane sweet. Shane Gillis has creeped in there but I'm talking about human beings that just god damn all the times you've made me laugh when we're just standing on the street you know and you'll be like two of us two of you just like those kind of <laughs> lines or like my favorite joe listism is like when's the last time the four of us hung out and it's just like me you and two people we've never met and it's, right, it's yeah, it, it was like those are like stuff that just would always make me laugh and what was crazy was like i was starting i got like a comedy central half hour and, and something else happened and i was kind of like i felt this like survivor's guilt I, I felt the survivors go like, uh, well, why isn't Joe List getting this? Like Joe List deserves this, you know? Right. And like, uh, and, and, and what about Mark Norman and Sam Arill and Joe Mackey and like all these like unbelievable comics where I kind of felt like, and, and, and it is gone. That, that kind of feeling has been in my head up until 
through the HBO special. Because when I got the HBO special, and then I'm seeing guys like Norman and Marill and and other like fantastic comedians with these networks being like Netflix being like, nah, sorry, no white guys, you know, or whatever. They're like, sorry, we don't like it. It's like that kind of feeling crept back in, which, so it's weird to see it from the other per- perspective of your perspective of like, oh, I, I, well, I can't hang out with him anymore because he's successful. Cause in my mind I was like, oh, they don't want to hang out with me cause they know they should have gotten it and I shouldn't have. But what was great watching you was watching you quit drinking and then all of a sudden just be like you know just like flying we're like there we go there we go he unclipped his wings here he comes because you quit drinking and it was like almost like step for step just like boom 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 you just like caught you know what i mean not like caught up but basically got to the point where i was like oh now we can hang out again because i don't think he thinks there's any difference with us comedically yeah well it it was step for step um yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) 12 of them hello but yeah, it was a thing of when I got sober, I remember even after like three weeks being like, I got to go to the cellar. Like, yeah. what's the point of quitting drinking if I'm not going to fucking start taking some chances? And so then I went and talked to Gullman and Bobby. And then when the night I went back there, you were there with Amy. Yeah. And everyone put in a good word. So I had like you, Amy, Bobby, call, and she was like, of course I remember you because I had gotten passed earlier when I was I mean, drunk. Dude, the first fucking two weeks you lived in the city. I remember you came over to my house. We went to my house after you got passed in 2007. It was insane. Yeah. I mean, it was another thing that made me be like, I'm kind of the fucking king shit here. But <laughs> yeah, because you came in and fucking slapped the dick off a of cellar. Uh, yeah, I remember that. So then I got passed at the cellar, and then I remember thinking, okay, why don't I go do a late night? Because this is what you realize when you're drinking, after you're done drinking, is I was so bitter that I was like, I can't get a late night. And so many people are like this. I can't get a late night. Why don't I get a late night? Why can't I get new faith? And then you realize I'm like, oh, I've never actually tried to do that. And that's so much of what alcoholism is. And I was like, let me just try. And the thing is, when you try... It makes it way easier to do something if you try to do it. And also, failure doesn't hurt as much because you tried. And so it's like when you fail, you know, it's something where you're like, yeah, okay, well, I put in the work and now I'm better at it so I can go do something else or I can try again. But I think it's easier for people to blame situations and themselves and that kind of stuff instead of figuring it out. And, and, and I'm not trying to sound too disconnected or whatever, but I'm saying like most of the stuff that I've noticed in my life is like a mixture of me vocalizing that I want to do something to the right people and then staying on those people about doing that, whether it be a podcast, whether it be a fucking radio show, whether it be, you know, like uh, clubs that I want to work with my it's like when you start saying you want shit, because a lot of times fans will be like, how's this? Per-? You know, after shows, they'll be like, how's this person famous? How's this person famous? And it's like they outworked all the people that you think are funny. Right. They outworked yeah, they, them. They just outworked they, them. They just showed up and they did the things that, you know, the, the funny people didn't. Yeah, it's that thing like 90% of life is like showing up. Yeah. Um and trying and being available to do it. I mean that and that's what for me like what sobriety has done. Yeah. And then sobriety led me bringing it back to like mindfulness. Like sobriety led me to like let me try to not just not drink but have like a full better life and investing into quality life which brought me to meditation, mindfulness and like reconnecting with friends and relationships and understanding that oh, this was all not all, but like mostly my fault. Yes. This is my own doing. Alan, uh, I want to say it was like three weeks after I quit drinking. You know, and I, 
he kind of knew that it was sticking this time. You helped me out by saying, like, dude, just go 90 days. Eat, drink, whatever you want that isn't alcohol. Just get to 90 days. And that kind of gave me, like, a little treat in order to get through it, where I was kind of like, cool, I'm going to have Domino's four nights a week. And you were like, fucking do it, as long as you're not drinking alcohol. Have a fucking Coke right before you go to bed. And I was like, oh, shit. After three weeks of me not drinking and having this, like, really positive outlook on it, I just remember Alan was like, now we can finally get to work. And I was like, what do you mean? Right, and he's right. like, yeah, you were drunk. I was like, everything was all wet and and you couldn't work on anything. Now you're dried out. Now we can actually get in there and fucking change things. And then it was really realizing like, why haven't I never been in a long-term relationship that's been effective? And I'm like, oh, that's me. Oh, shit, that was me. Oh, this is in the mindfulness of being like, why didn't I do... Man, if I didn't drink, I wouldn't have number one, the ability to go do multiple jobs at once. But number two, I don't think I would have the ability to get the mindfulness that I need to be able to be a workaholic because I was stretched thin before this quarantine. I was like, someone would ask me to do a podcast and I'm like, I don't know when I can. I don't know when I can. I do. And those are complaining about great problems. And, and now being away from all that shit, it's kind of like, Oh, maybe I want to approach that differently from a better mental aspect like maybe i want to approach things of like this is what i want to get done and this is how much time i'm willing to put towards that yeah exactly it allows you to kind of live a a full life and a present life i mean like being present for yourself and for loved ones is like the ultimate yeah gift yeah it's Um, it's pretty great it's pretty fucking we got to we got to uh, wrap it up here. I don't want to take too much of your time. I think uh, you have to go to work. Yeah, I got to go do the bonfire from the um, same seat that I'm doing this, which is weird. <laughs> Just to be like, all right, this is over. Now this is uh, like, bloop, bloop. I know it's basically the same activity. Well, I appreciate you uh, doing this. I've been wanting yeah. you on the show. And what's good about this show is I think there's more for us to talk about. So maybe we can get more into it like, Dude, down would, the road. I would absolutely uh, love to do that. I think that you're one of the you're one of the people that I've grown up with. And I think that's like uh, I think you grow up with people that you're around when you're a teenager. And then I think there's people you grow up with as an adult that you choose to be around. And you're one of right. those people that I've chose t- to be around. And I'm grateful that I have because. I think um, I like anyone that's working on themselves, and but it's also a benefit that they're one of the best comedians working and someone that loves comedy to an obsessive level as <laughs> as me. As, as, and I think yeah. I'll never forget the first gig you did with Norman, I think was opening for John Mulaney at Bananas in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. I think that might be yeah. the first gig. Yeah, yeah. And I remember you came back and you and I were having a beer and you were like, you know this Mark Norman guy? And I was like, yeah, yeah, he hangs out with Matt Ruby. And you're like, yeah, uh, he's one of us. He's one of us. He's like, uh, <laughs> he's he's crazy. He's he's a crazy person. And I was like, what do you mean? Yeah, he's like, yeah. likes the booze, loves jokes, loves jokes, and uh, you know, we'll talk comedy. And Norman and you were guys were like, if I see you in an awkward situation, if I'm in an awkward situation, I see you or Norman. I'm like, oh well, I can just go talk to these guys for fucking seven hours. Yeah, no, it's the best. It's the, it's such a great. It, it always reminds me of the Blind Melon video with the bee girl. Yeah, yeah she goes to the, the field. Other bees. Yeah, finds the other bees. That's, it's exactly how I feel about uh, comics. Um, well, thanks very much, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, I love you. I love you and, too, dude. Uh, and we're fucking. Let's take a walk it, on man. Thursday. Um, sounds good to me. Yeah, let's do it. Let me know when you're in the neighborhood. Deal. Oh, I thought you froze. Uh, <laughs> all right, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. 
Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.